0: hi everyone and welcome to my movie story my name is brian Maclear. i'm your host we've been dropping episodes every week on a monday night now uh thanks for watching so far and all of your um positive comments and feedback it's really great to see so um if you're new to the show make sure you go back and check out those first Four episodes, um, like the Facebook page, share it with your friends, you know, help help me get it out there. Um, so my um, guest tonight is a good friend of mine who I've known for, for many, many years, Alex Stoyan, and he's 40 years old. He's married with twins and he lives in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. He's lived there all his life. And Alex and I go way back to our high school days, so we've known each other for a while. And he's a full-time self-employed car photographer and an excellent photographer, I might add, um, if you need photos of your car check check out his size does some good work and his favorite food is barbecues and breakfast food you know that's really his specialty his favorite place to visit is new zealand um where he takes photos of the the stunning natural landscape um maybe a few hobbits if he's lucky he calls having kids as a once in a lifetime experience although he could obviously do it more than once but really nothing tops it and i completely agree with you there mate Uh, And when it comes to movies, Alex grew up on action and martial arts movies. He's also a real history and and politics junkie. And he regards himself as a firmly right-wing libertarian and objectivist uh, and loves a good debate as well. So one of his films is about politics and the, the relationship with that, which is going to be a really good chat. So we'll get to that in a minute. And he's also a very skilled and enthusiastic outdoorsman. He loves hunting, camping, fishing and I can really attest that, you know, when me, Alex and, and the blokes go camping, a uh, group of mates, we would uh, be stranded in the wilderness, starving and <laughs> probably huddled around a cigarette lighter trying to keep warm. If uh, Alex wasn't there, <laughs> we would die. So, you know, uh, it's very good to have him on those camping trips. So I don't know if we take him or he takes us, but anyway, it works out really <laughs> well. So um, yeah, Alex, welcome to the show, mate. How are you going?
1: Good. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we've we've uh, you and I go way back. Obviously, we've seen uh, mm-hmm. lots of movies. You know, went with all the boys going to the movies, talking about the movies. I remember you having a really extensive DVD collection at one point. Mm. You still have most of those DVDs?
1: I still got them all, and never oh. got rid of a single one. So awesome. yeah, lots of lots of old uh, '80s and '90s action movies. All oh, the yep. all the good blokes, you know, Van Dam and uh, yeah. Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and all the yep. rest. So all the classics, yeah, absolutely. Yeah
0: and i think Definitely. i think it's still relevant to hang on to dvds because even though pretty much everything is streaming somewhere you know some mm. of the lesser known stuff may not stream for for years or hasn't streamed at all you know and mm. there's a few particular dvds i've hung on to for that reason as well um that if it's not streaming uh you, at least you've got it there on backup so um they're not completely gone
1: well, i think i think um as well that uh, you know you could have a membership with you know, every streaming service out there, you know, like all of those. And even then I might think to myself, I want to watch this particular movie and you look at it across all of them and you can't find it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yes, sometimes I, I, I go through yeah. all, all five or six of them and I can't find a single thing I want to watch. Yeah. yeah. And
0: um just coming back to you again briefly, mate, before we introduce your film. So you're a you're a photographer and you specialize in photography of cars and also a bit of landscape stuff as well. So tell us a bit about, your business and, and what your sort of daily
1: life is like as a photographer. Sure. So I basically specialize in um, photography for dealerships. Um, yep. I basically, my bread and butter is shooting uh, inventory, so it's not particularly glamorous, um, but all the used cars and new car stock that come in, that's got to be advertised online. Yep. I do all the, uh, all the very high quality photography of that. Uh, we do video work, we do promotional videos, uh, branding videos um road tests all sorts of things um yeah. uh on top of that we do like you know staff photos dealership photos basically any photography or, or video that a dealership might need yeah i specialize in that so
0: it's a really interesting field of work as a photographer and, and alex's photos are, are very very good um you know you've, you can see a couple of them pop up on the screen at the moment and um yeah we might check your the link to your website in here as well for people who just want to check it out and and see a bit more about Alex's photography skills. So, so far the episodes we've had, we've had a real uh, diverse uh, mix of films. We did have the Goonies twice in a row, but that was probably more me being like, okay, because I love the Goonies so much. But uh, I think we'll give the Goonies a rest for a while. (laughs) They might come back in episode 490 if if we get that far. Um, But I know Alex's films are going to be pretty unique um, because of his interests and everything. So, what we might do, Alex, um, to kick it off, is start with the film that um, changed you, changed your life, changed your perspective on the world in some way or another. So, uh, yeah, would you like to? tell us what that film is and and maybe just describe it
1: a bit. Sure. Uh, The film I picked uh, is V for Vendetta by the Wachowski brothers uh, who Mm -hmm. uh, directed the Matrix films.
0: My turn.
1: I suddenly had this feeling that everything was connected. We're all part of it. we ready for
0: it the only verdict is vengeance
1: so basically it's about a um about a masked vigilante who wears the uh, almost like a cartoonish version of the guy fawkes mask mm. who um who well, i forget exactly the year it was but several hundred years ago um tried to blow up uh, the Houses of Parliament in England. And um, and so basically the premise being that uh, he is this mysterious figure. You never ever see his face or any part of his body for that matter. He's always masked up and in the, the big black robes and everything. And uh, he basically comes out of nowhere and uh, blows up uh, the old Bailey building in London. And uh, anyway, he's basically hunted down and... Yep and uh, everyone's trying to sort of work out what his motives are and then yeah. he comes out and basically says he's you know to put it briefly he's basically against this uh, fascist government that's yeah. uh, that's uh, sprung up in uh, in England which basically came about as a result of a uh, pandemic mm. and um <laughs> yeah. and so yeah so straight away you can see where i'm going with this uh, after Absolutely. the last few years yeah um so yeah and so basically uh, the story then goes um uh him basically fulfilling his plan to blow up the houses of parliament completely. And uh, Natalie Portman plays the character of Evie who uh, they sort of stumble across each other in an alleyway yeah. when she's out after curfew. And he yep. basically saves her from a couple of uh, yeah. government agents. And, um, and yeah, so basically she becomes yeah. part of the plan and eventually, uh, you know, slowly, slowly they figure out what he's up to and what mm. he manages to carry it out. So yeah, yeah, and it was
0: released, I think, around 2006
1: or something like that. I think so, yeah. I forget yeah, exactly, and... But somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah,
0: so, you know, going on 15, 16 years, old, or nearly, nearly 20 years, I should say, 17 years ago. Uh, and like mm-hmm. you said, written by the Wachowski brothers who um, came up with The Matrix, so... Really, you know, original ideas that they tend to come up with, and, and strikingly visual and everything like that. Mm. Um, so actually, so... I,
1: I should just quickly mention yeah. that. So, um, so I don't think it was actually the Wachowskis that directed it. They wrote the mm. screenplay for it. That's right. Yeah. Um, it was yep. based on a on a um, on a graphic novel, mm. um, but they yep. actually changed it quite a lot. And the original um, artist who did the graphic novel basically wanted nothing to do with it because it was actually quite different. Right. Um, okay. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, so there was quite a bit of uh, revision there.
0: How relevant that film is now more than ever, given what's sort of happened in the last Mm. few years. So um, what would be sort of the main comparisons you could draw from the film and what's been happening in the world in the past few years?
1: Well, so basically the... (laughs) So you actually don't find out how the world uh, comes to be the way it is until... Um, sort of the, you know, the peak of the film uh, much further on. Mm. Um, so every you've got um, this detective and his, his uh, you know, number two, basically um, trying to track down this guy, What you know, work out what he's going to do. They yeah. know that, you know, so basically one day he appears on the um, emergency TV broadcast. And so it's on everybody's TV and he basically gives this little spiel about, you know, what he's up to. And he says, uh, you know, in a year from now on November the 5th, uh, you know, everybody joined me at the houses of parliament. Yeah. And, um, and so he doesn't really elaborate too much more what he intends to do, but these uh, detectives are trying to figure out, you know, what he's what, what his plans are.
0: Yeah. What his plan is. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, the whole time you've got this, uh, this dictator figure um, played by John Hurt, who does a fantastic job. Oh yeah, um, And uh, he's, he basically, you know, he's always on this big screen, like 1984 style. Um, and, you know, talking down to the minions. So namely this particular detective, you know, he's mm-hmm. a head of security and so on and so forth. He's propaganda yeah. minister and, uh, you know, directing them work out what's going on. Yeah. Basically that him and a bunch of others had owned a lot of these big uh, pharmaceutical companies are invested in it. a lot of the big party officials were involved in it. And, you there was a pandemic some years ago that killed um, hundreds of people at uh, this place called St. Mary's, which I think was a school. Yep. And, yep. Um, and anyway, basically, they used that uh, to clamp down on everything and because mm-hmm. uh, you know, they blamed it on terrorists who supposedly confessed to, to doing it. Obviously, they were patsies. And, uh, and these companies that they owned that created the virus also had the cure and so they then released the cure afterwards and got extremely wealthy out of it and- comparisons are just unbelievable
0: mm. like i was mm. rewatching the film in preparation for this mm. chat and i was like wow like for something made in 2006 and and based mm. on a based on a book that was written obviously earlier than that it mm. sort of foretold you know this uh this <laughs> scenario that was going to happen mm. and i was watching it just couldn't help uh, but make those comparisons to what you know we've mm. we've been through and and also um could you comment a little bit on how like the uh the media in this film um is is portrayed and how they like manipulate what's going on um mm. what, what were your thoughts on that like in terms who was the real villain of, of the film do you think it was sort of the media was it this uh the John Hurt character was it just society in general like yeah what, what were your sort of thoughts on that
1: um, well, in this movie, you pretty much only have sort of one me- media. So you've got the BTN, the British TV network, um, which is essentially <laughs> yeah. state media, um, even though we don't have uh, the state media in the same way that uh, it's portrayed in V for Vendetta. I mean, V for Vendetta is very much, um, uh, you know, based on tropes and, you know, uh, you know, stereotypical things, um, you know, yeah. basically to make a point uh, in the real li- in real life, it's a lot more um, complex. Um, Oops. but it uh, gets a point across that uh, you know you have a you have this media that um you know basically is you know not not uh, objective it's not um you know the the people presenting are not thinking for themselves yeah. um they're just uh reading from the script so yeah so definitely. that's definitely a big parallel between um yep. real life and the movie
0: films the films had a lasting impact, and i think it's uh it's it's a film where people. Who years and years from now will find it hard to believe that we lived through the peak mm. of the pandemic. It's like, watch V for Vendetta and, <clears> and <throat> kind of touch on a lot of uh, you know, a lot of what happened. Um, mm. you know, obviously it's dramatized and and fictionalized in certain parts uh, mm. to make it a movie because it has to be entertaining. Um uh, but yeah, like it's it's eerie how sort of close to to home it was. And um, and I guess uh <clears> coming back to why you chose the film, I mean you it was uh the film that had an impact on on you and or your perspective on the world so in what way was this film like a, a game changer for you like what do you take away from it the most
1: um well back when it came out and I, I didn't see the film immediately it was I think probably a year or two after it had come out that I'd seen it um, and many of my political views were sort of already formed uh, at the time um, I'm very much a anti-government sort of person um you know pro-freedom libertarian type person um and the movie actually isn't is, is very much left-wing so that's complete opposite to me but um back in those days uh you know the left were very anti-authoritarian um and well they, they're the opposite again now so so they would be very much on the side of adam Sutler ironically but um yeah. but at the time when i saw it it wasn't so much that it opened my eyes but the way it put it down in, in, uh, in a way that you couldn't, you know, sometimes you have, have the thoughts, you have the image in your head, but trying to put it in a concise sort of story that you can explain it to somebody um, is not always easy. Uh, You know, you've got a million ideas swirling around in your head, a million different points and you you can't articulate it. Um, But what this movie did was it, it put it in a, in a story that was, um compelling easy to understand and it, it shows the you know the actual effect of those ideas and everything and it's like well yeah. this is what's in my head this is like putting it on screen um, so yeah so it was sort of like a, it was very refreshing to see something like that at the time
0: yeah so just sort of wrapping up uh the V for Fendetta chat uh is there a favorite scene or a, a moment or a, an idea in the film that you like the most or that you kind yeah, of, there's a
1: couple. You... I, I think probably overall my favourite is the scene where they're at back at Saint Mary's, where I mean, that was apparently outside of the you know the the quarantine zone, so there was you know nobody was permitted to go there, and they meet this man Rockwood, as he calls himself. It was actually vague, mm-hmm. and where he he says to the uh, to the inspector, you know um this is basically he tells him a story he doesn't say this is fact or this is how it happened he just tells him a story and it runs through how our sutler and his party are uh, called Norse fire comes to uh comes to power and hmm. and basically um yeah. yeah it's a fantastic scene where he basically just lays it out and you can just see exactly how it all comes together and it's just it's so well spoken and the, you know they include all the clips and everything of you know like the historical clips supposedly, hmm. and, and it's just it's just like one of those eureka moments. It's just so yeah. brilliant, yeah. Um, and where the inspector, you can see that up until that point, he's been trying to get this guy, trying to stop him from you know, whatever whatever this plan is, you know, because he doesn't want anybody to get hurt. He's he's essentially a, an honourable man, this inspector. And um, and the inspector says to him at the end of the story, he says, you know, why why have you waited until now? Why have you not told anybody? Um, you know about this and he says i was waiting for you yeah and um basically saying i'm waiting for an honorable man who you know who i can trust who's actually going to because... do something with this information." exactly because because uh... in the when you work for the government to to basically go out on your own and think for yourself um you know it's not uh, not well liked not not much appreciated mm-hmm. um, so when he saw this person okay yeah this guy's the real deal he was the one who was to tell it to. Yeah. It came
0: out at a time that was before the real boom of superheroes. Like you had mm. you had Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy had just started, you had X-Men was around, but Marvel hadn't really mm. taken off yet. So VF yeah. Vendetta was released at an interesting time where we were looking at these sort of more darker, brooding sort of comic book style films like Sin City was the year before. Mm. So um yeah, much sort of similar in that vein where it is it is political, it is driven by you know, us versus them kind of mentality. Um, mm. And for anyone who hasn't discovered yet and wants a bit of a, uh, I guess, a foreshadowing of what <laughs> we've been through <laughs> in the past few years and some very mm. similar comparisons, and uh, it's definitely worth a watch. And, you know, it might challenge your opinions or beliefs um, watching it, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a film and it's a safe space to sit there and be challenged and, and mm. seeking from a different point of view, um, which I think Absolutely. is it's sure, It's well. certainly...
1: Um... It's certainly, when you watch it, as I said, it, it the way it lays out lays everything out, uh, the, the whole timeline in a way that you know, in a condensed format that you can see and understand and fully grasp. Um, it's very powerful, and I think a lot of people when they watch that, they think, Oh, that's yeah, that's kind of what happened. Obviously, it's not going to be exact, it's that's never going to be the case, but um, and it wasn't uh, trying to prophesize anything, but at the same time, it is it is a you know, universal story in that uh, you know you have a a government that's used a crisis to um, you know to usurp uh, power and uh, and influence over people, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's you know happened so many times throughout history. So to see to see that you know tied into something that's happened to us very recently, it uh, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And uh, and I think a lot Probably of people classic example of life on...
0: imitating art, imitating life. <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah. right.
1: So. So, yeah, so I think a lot of people who watch it will, will look at it and think, yeah, okay, I, I, maybe, maybe a lot of what's happened in the last two or three years, you know, maybe wasn't just an accident, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's totally okay to question things, and I think these about getting the people of this oppressed version of London to mm-hmm. go against the status quo and how that all comes together at the end, which is really cool, so. <laughs> Um, we could keep talking about this film forever, obviously, and without giving too much else away. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, I've already done that. Oops. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I'll put a little spoiler a warning at the start of the interview, but that's all good. Uh, but yeah, V for Vendetta. Um, check it out. It's, it's pretty different. It's not your typical like superhero film, as we've discussed. Uh, and in a nutshell, you'll see the comparisons to what we've just all lived through. So, <laughs> all right, good chat. All right, so for our next film, Alex, we're going to um, change direction now to a completely different genre, completely different mm-hmm. film altogether. Uh, and this is um, one of your all-time favourite films. And I know before our episode, we had a chat and it's a hard choice as it is for every guest mm-hmm. to just nail it down to, to one film. Um, and we will I know you've got some honourable mentions, which we'll we'll come mm-hmm. to later on. Uh, but yeah, do tell us uh,
1: which film is one of your all-time favourites. What are we going to talk about? All right. So I've I've chosen for this uh, Alien, the original. Fantastic. Um, the original Ridley Scott film. <laughs> Yeah. I uh, actually rewatched it this morning and, um, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it never gets old. It's so brilliantly done. Yeah. So it holds up so uh, well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And yeah. it's, and I love, I love about it how understated it is for for a science fiction film. It was, yeah. um, I remember it was done. I think it was just after star Wars had come out. Yeah.
0: 78. I think it was 70, yeah, uh,
1: 79, uh, 70, 79. I think it was. Yeah, And, um, and I think they wanted to go the opposite direction from Star Wars and not make everything too fantasy-ish. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to make it very much grounded in in uh, reality. And uh, yeah. essentially, it's a movie about a bunch of space truckers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I heard it uh, described once. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, so basically, where they come across uh, this planet, they're well, they're all in like a you know a hypersleep or whatever you want to call it. They're in stasis. Yep, and they're. Their ship, uh, the Nostromo, which is basically a, a towing vessel, towing a huge structure filled with some sort of mineral ore, um, they all get waken, woken up and uh, mm. told they have to investigate this beacon on this planet called LV-426. And um, and that's where they come across this alien for the first time.
0: Yeah. And the title In of the, the film hell. tells you everything you need to know. It's about it's mm. an alien, right? Yeah. And... Um, just to, I guess, give a little bit of background to some people who may, I mean, I think most moviegoers are familiar with the alien creature itself. And, you know, the films are still being made and there's been the spinoffs yeah. and stuff, which we'll talk about. Uh, but it came out at an interesting time because, like you said, it's a year or two after Star Wars. So naturally, it was going to draw some comparisons mm-hmm. from that in terms of mm-hmm. the special effects and the miniatures of the ships and all that stuff. Then you had a decade before that, you had 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm. um, and we've covered both those films in recent episodes, 2001 and Star Wars, so definitely a, a good choice here to have another landmark science fiction mm. film, and and uh, I don't think it was the debut film of Ridley Scott, but it was probably his first like big film that really yeah. set his career and stuff, but I think it was one of the first films we saw
1: with Sigourney Weaver in it as well um i think i think this film really made her career i mean oh for sure she's 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 she's, and she's just fantastic like to me she's my all-time favorite movie heroine um you can uh, relate to her because she's she's got fear she's terrified throughout the whole movie you can tell Mm. but she keeps her head she you know she uh, doesn't lose her mind she keeps cool she's she's an officer in the film and um and you know and all the way through despite being terrified she just keeps on going and keeps a level head and it's just uh you know just just that mental fortitude that she's got and then also in in the sequel you know you see her her motherly instinct come out Mm. and um yep you know so all the best female qualities you know being a mother you know being a tough woman you know being a that uh being a cool calm leader um despite being you know physically um You know, weaker than perhaps some of her male counterparts or in fact the alien itself which you know everybody is weaker than of course Um, but despite that you know she she just uses her head and and is just absolute badass character
0: for sure one of the most well conceived um female movie characters of Mm -hmm. all time and uh she progressed through the sequels. Some were great, some were questionable. But uh, in terms of a character, like uh, you you think of Sigourney Weaver and you just think, yeah, she's Ripley from mm. Aliens. Obviously, she's got some other standout films like um, uh, the Ghostbusters series and mm. uh, more recently Avatar. Uh, but, you know, yeah. yeah, Alien is where it started for her. And I think, uh, you know, she's perfectly cast in that role. And mm. um and a, a really good ensemble cast as well. And uh, the, the dynamic they all had was really good. I noticed re-watching it the other day, the chemistry seemed real and they all played their parts so convincingly. It felt like you were on the ship and these were just mm. people who worked on a ship and it was just their d- job. It was like the daily grind of, you know, going from one place to another on a ship and
1: sleeping for like a year of their life. <laughs> yeah, fascinating concept. Exactly. And... um and as I said before, it's, it's like a movie about these space truckers, you know, they're, they're just there to drive this vessel. Hmm. Uh, They're just carrying stuff, Uh, but they happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, again, we got uh, go back to, you know, the big corporations in the background that, uh, you know, force them to stop and, and, you know, basically put them in this situation and how much exactly they knew in advance, they don't really let on.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And obviously there's a character in the film who is not who he seems to be uh, with, um, spoiling things too much and that makes you think what's the bigger implications of what's Mm. going on here it's not completely random and and we kind of see a bit of that in the sequels as well so Mm. um now let's let's go back to the star of the film which is obviously the alien being called the alien Mm -hmm. um in your opinion greatest movie monster ever conceived
1: i think so yeah um and I'd, i'd say almost tied with predator Mm. Which I know later on they they sort of did crossover films, but they did, yes. keeping them keeping <laughs> them separate. I, th- I think Predator was was an excellent one, yeah. um, but uh, but no, I, the Alien is it's just such an absolutely devastating creature. Um, it's absolutely terrifying the way it looks that enormous elongated head. It has no eyes, but it can mm-hmm. see, and mm-hmm. and the you know the the menacing teeth and the other jaw that you know oh. comes out and just you know yeah. stabs you in the in the head with that it's yeah acid for blood exactly like you're yeah, there's yeah. that is <laughs> that scene where the uh the face hugger so for those who haven't seen it which i'd be surprised if anyone hasn't seen it at some point but yeah um <laughs> uh, kane actually who, the the first um person who comes in contact with him who's actually played by john Hurt as well who's, John Hurt again yeah yeah, yeah um so he comes across uh, this, you know, this huge derelict spacecraft and they go inside and they find uh, all these giant eggs everywhere. And he goes and sticks his face up to it. It opens up and the face hugger comes out like this giant spider sort of creature. Yep. And um, what they don't realize at the time, it's laying an embryo inside him. Yep. And uh, and when he's back in the infirmary, they try to, you know, cut the leg. To try and uh, get it off his face, and the blood pours out, and basically this acid just burns through the floor and the several levels, and and it's just it's just like it's just an absolutely terrifying creature. You don't dare kill this thing because you you know you'll either put a hole in your spacecraft or it'll get on you and you'll get burned as well. And it's just it's it's almost like it's invincible, and um, it makes it incredibly terrifying. And the way that it's filmed in the movie as well, they they really don't show much of it, and. And this is one thing I didn't like about the the newer movies like um, uh, Alien Covenant and all of that, where you see it completely, you know, the whole creature. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's not as scary that way. It's sort of there's there's, you know, yep. fear of the unknown when you don't fully see this whole thing. You just see enough just to scare you. Absolutely. So I think it's an it's an absolute masterclass in just you know just showing just just what you need, yeah. you know, rather than just having big flashy visuals. It's uh, definitely which was done really in Jaws done. as well.
0: Spielberg made that choice mm. of only revealing the shark in phases, and yeah. at the time people would say, "Well, special effects were not what they are today. Budgets were smaller, so you had to be creative <clears> in what <throat> you showed." But I think. Mm. Maybe that was what they were working with, but they used that to event advan- to their advantage and mm. revealed it in stages. And I think you're right. I think it builds it up slowly and like and the incarnation of the alien going from this thing in an egg that jumps on a person's face and then out comes the thing from the guy's chest that takes off. Mm. It grows to like eight feet tall in like a couple of hours. Yeah, and then they're just the soldiers. They're just like the you know the the worker beings yeah. because there's also a queen alien who we meet in the mm. sequel who's even more monstrosities, and uh, we won't go too much into the sequel now because we may have that coming up in a future episode i'm not going to say <laughs> when or who but uh because it's a secret uh, <laughs> but uh yeah um so it's such an ingenious creature design and mm. you know, it's still it's it's still being revisited and and touched on today so um but just quickly though we'll we'll go to you know if you'd like to mention any of the sequels or even the spin-offs mm. quickly
1: did, did you like
0: them did you think they were worth watching and you know what are your thoughts um, on the series
1: the second one was excellent yep. um uh, that's undeniable um but at the same time it's more of a straight-up up action film um which don't get me wrong i absolutely love and i love the second one um but uh but i think for me just just the way the first one was just you know mm. only showed just what it needed to nothing was over the top um, it was just it was a humble film, I suppose you could call it. Yeah, um, it's but, small um, in a lot
0: of ways, isn't it? But it's a legacy, yeah. And, and I, I, I like, I like
1: in, in these sort of grand stories, these big universes that uh, you know, built up through movies now. I like going back to the start and I like seeing how things, mm-hmm. how things uh, you know, come to be the way they are. Yeah, and so that's why, yeah, Alien has a special place in my heart, but that's um, cool. yeah. but uh, that being said, um, Alien 3. It was okay. Um, I still watch it occasionally. I don't mind it. Yeah, I don't mind Alien 3. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it was okay. It was done all right. Um, Mm -hmm. it's sort of one of those things. How do you keep, you know, reviving this story when each film supposedly seems to have closed it out, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah. So Alien 3 was okay. Um, one thing I did like about Alien 3 right at the very end of the film, um, the transmission that Ripley sent out at the end of the first film gets played in the uh, in the vehicle that crashed down on this planet on uh, or the escape pod that crashed down on the planet where Ripley ended up finding herself, yep. and uh, it plays that uh, that message from the original film, which you wow. don't hear at any other point in between. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was a very cool little touch. Um, and then you had Alien Resurrection, which. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> silly film. Again, it's just like really forcing the premise now. Sure. Um. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and then a couple of other versions since you've had Prometheus, which
0: was a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, I, I,
1: I didn't still... think much of any of them. I thought, yeah. look, Prometheus was okay. Yep. Um, Alien Covenant, I thought was garbage. Right. Um, great effects. I love the location because it was filmed in one of my favorite places at Milford Sound. Oh, okay, um, all right. All right. Haven't seen Uh Yeah, before. so so where, where the ship uh, lands, it's actually right on the shore at Milford uh-huh. Sound.
0: Yeah, and um, can you remember how old you were, all the circumstances around how you first saw Alien or who introduced it to mm. you? Like, can you remember?
1: Um, yeah, actually, I I don't know the exact year, but I know um, I actually saw Aliens first.
0: Oh, right, yep. Um,
1: and I have a... I, you know i forget what i had for breakfast the other day but um <laughs> so thinking back is going to be difficult but i think um because my old man was uh was big into action movies and all these sorts of things and i think he had a copy of it on video and so he was watching and i think that's when i first saw aliens and i sort of looked into it and i'd seen oh alien well okay mm-hmm. this is just not pl- plural What what's the go with this and so I think I, I rented it from the video library and this was, I was in high school at some some stage. I can't remember exactly which year, uh, but I remember renting it and saw that. And uh, and uh like, I'm not a person who gets scared by movies, but I thought to myself, this is about as close as it'll ever get. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And whereas I loved Aliens because it's just, it's a straight up action movie. Uh, so- it's a lot of guns and I, I love that stuff. Uh, but this is just a very creepy terrifying movie and it's mm. um yep. yeah and I, I fell in love with it it's absolutely sure. brilliantly made
0: that sense of dread and
1: foreboding is
0: there mm. right from the start it's like yeah these people yeah. Are you know they're on this ship in the middle of bloody
1: the far reaches of space it's dark it's very mm. it's depressing uh you and, know and the interior yeah. of the ship yeah. as well the way it's designed it's not flashy and bright and you know clean white surfaces and mm. you know it's not futuristic all the yeah. uh, all the consoles, all the, the the screens you see, everything is just very basic numbers and text, and yep. it's all very old technology, and it just looks like a gritty old truck. Yeah, um, it does.
0: It's, yeah, which yeah, it's uh, very, very back much in the 70s when it was made, how they viewed the future. <clears throat> and I think it, you might know this. I think it's set in the year 2037. I think I Something see like that, that pop yeah. up on the screen earlier on in the film, which is only, like, 14 years from now. So who knows? You know, maybe... Uh, maybe that'll be us in 14 years (laughs) you never know but it's interesting to see how films of the past predicted the future as well yeah um i guess having seen the film and all the other sequels and knowing it so well what would be like your rules for survival if you were on a ship with that alien
1: like what would you do what would you do how would you how would you find it what would be your plan (laughs) oh that well that that's a that's a hard one to to answer but (laughs) and the other thing is too it's it's we like to think that, you know, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd have all the answers and we'd be so heroic. But for all we know, if you were actually put in that situation, you might be sitting in the corner shitting your pants, Oh, you know, just, just from sheer terror. You know, we don't know how how well we'd react unless we oh. were actually in that situation. So yeah. I don't want to ascribe any, any, you know, magic abilities to myself. But, um, <laughs> oh, look, it's, you know what, I, I think everyone in that film did the best they could i don't think i could have come up with a better plan mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's a matter of you have to try and track it down and isolate it obviously you can't go toe-to-toe with it that's not possible yeah. um they have no real weapons in the movie they've got a flamethrower they've got cattle prods which are useless yeah. um mm. so yeah it'd be trying to outsmart it and yeah, yeah. for one person to do that on their own mm-hmm. very difficult and even for ripley you know yeah she doesn't outsmart the thing it's it's i won't give it away but it's
0: hmm. yeah
1: No nobody outsmarts this thing this thing is just so resilient and yeah. so fast and just when you think you've got a cornered it, it 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 gets away so yeah yeah so that's yeah a- so I, I don't think I'd, i don't think i'd have any anything more to offer than what uh than what uh they already <laughs> did
0: well good a good honest response here absolutely mm. i guess that's what the video games exist for it's like oh i know this yeah. alien i know how to fight it and then off you go and you can do it that way but um yeah i think um Alien, I mean, it's a great choice of a film. It's definitely one of the landmark uh, films of cinema. It gave us the alien monster, which has been revisited and redone. And there's another mm-hmm. alien film coming out, I think, next year, Alien Romulus okay. or something like that. Don't oh, know yeah. About it. Something about that, yeah. Yeah, so, but that's on the way. And obviously, we've got the alien predator films, which we won't go mm. into today. But uh, it's favourite scene or favourite moment.
1: Oh, I would have definitely the uh, the scene where they're sitting around the uh, the dinner table after the face hugger has detached oh. itself from from Kane, and um, and he's starving. He's hungry. He's just you know absolutely, you know, shoveling down the food, and all of a sudden he starts choking, and uh, and it's just it's a fantastic scene. It's mm-hmm. quite horrific. Yep. Um, but basically he starts convulsing, and you know everyone's trying to hold him down. They don't know what's going on. And then the blood starts spraying from his chest. Like you get the small little burst of blood and, uh, and then eventually the alien bursts through and that's just such an iconic scene. It's absolutely terrifying. And to think, you know, the amount of pain and just what absolute horror it would be to be in that position. And, um, and one of the interesting things was uh, the, I forget the lady's name, the one who played Lambert, the other female character. Yeah. Um, her reaction when the blood spurts out and she gets a whole bunch of blood on her face, that was completely spontaneous. She did not know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you hear her basically just recoiling in horror and she goes, Oh God. And like yeah. that was a genuine re- reaction. Oh. She didn't, she was not expecting it. And it's so, and so yeah. So that, that whole scene. I mean, when, once the alien comes out and slides across the table, it's not the most convincing, but just yeah. that, sheer horror of that thing bursting through your chest while you're fully oh. awake and conscious. Yeah. And, and the audience at the time would have had no
0: idea that that was about No, them,
1: none yeah. whatsoever.
0: Because, you know, back then like films were just a, a mystery and there was no internet buzz. There was no spoilers. It was like, you didn't people would the walk story, out of it yeah. and be like, Oh my God, alien, like just mm. go and see it. It'll, it'll scare the crap out of you. And it's still scary. It's still effective to this day. Yeah. But, um, yeah just an ingenious concept from of a monster, whoever originally came up with that, um, has created a unique <laughs> legacy for absolutely, cinema. Absolutely. All it's
1: right. Uh, HR, HR Geiger that, that designed it, I think it was. HR Geiger. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll look
0: him up. <laughs> all right. He's, awesome. got, he's
1: got some very, very creepy drawings that man.
0: Yeah. yeah well, very creative. You come up with something like that. Like it makes you wonder what's going on in that creative mind. But yeah, I mean like, <laughs> we're all the better for it anyway, because it's so absolutely. iconic. But um all right, fantastic. Um mm-hmm. so let's uh let's keep rolling ahead now and for your final film uh and uh this is the film that you think everyone must see at least once in their life and um quite often people choose something that's a bit different from say the the life-changing film or the film that they they love the most and this might not necessarily be your favorite film or the film you've you would watch over and over and over again but it's it just touches on something that's like so unique or different and you say to people like, yeah, "You've just got to see this film. Like, it's just something you need to experience." And, mm. and um, I, I really like your choice. I think it's uh, it's such a unique film. So yeah, do you want to tell us what
1: the movie is and set it up? Sure. This is it's quite a dumb film. Um, I have to <laughs> say, it's I'm, I'm not choosing it for its uh, you know, cinematic merits. Let's say, um, yeah. it's a bit of an ironic choice. But um, so the film is called Idiocracy. I'm the smartest guy in the world. Says who? The IQ test you took in prison. You got the highest score in history. Even smarter than President Camacho. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of America. In the year 2505. We mm-hmm. got this guy. He's going to fix everything. So you smart, huh? The ordinary will be considered extraordinary. I thought you here would be bigger. Idiocracy. For the smartest guy in the world, you're pretty dumb sometimes. It's got uh, what's his name, Luke Wilson, I think his name. Yep. Um, and uh, I forget the other girl. And anyway, there's, there's a few well-known characters in it. Terry Crews is in it. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically, this uh, the premise is uh, this very average uh, army librarian played by Luke Wilson, He's the most average man in every way in intelligence, in ability to just perfectly average Yep. <laughs> dead smack dead in the middle of, a, of every bell curve you can imagine um he's chosen to go into this um into this army experiment uh into um essentially hibernation or you know uh, suspended animation and, and along with him is a uh, a prostitute um uh, named rita who's uh <laughs> who's chosen to to do it as well yep. and uh whole scene with uh you know the the army official the scientist explaining how he had to you know how he had to befriend her pimp and everything it was just a fantastic scene um yeah Yeah. um yeah so so they basically put in these two two pods um and they're to be uh put to sleep for a year where they'll wake up and everything will go back to normal um but uh the guy who started this program basically he's um you know he's done for corruption and uh and all this, and the funding gets cut off for this program, and the building that it all happens in gets demolished, and so the whole thing gets forgotten. And eventually, these these two wake up five hundred years in the future. <laughs> and it. rather than the world being this, you know, high tech uh, utopia, uh, the world has just become completely retarded. It's just so <laughs> dumbed down, oh. stupid. people can't even talk properly it's like the language is like this mix of hillbilly and and uh you know grunting and it's just it's just it's it's, the the film is so absurd i'm sort of almost regretting my decision to pick it but oh no um, it's
0: it's it's great i think i think it's genius actually the the idea that in the future we're not going to be smarter and more advanced we're just going to be dumber which is yeah probably not that far off the truth yeah
1: (laughs) and so so it's a very satirical film but it's 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 quite funny um, but one of the best parts of this film is at the start, the first five minutes where they basically explain how the world got to be this way, um, where, and they, they compare this well-to-do young couple, you know, uh, both with good careers, you know, yeah. typical suburban family, um, trying to have kids but uh, then they then they decide oh we're going to put it off because the economy is not great or whatever and so they keep finding a way to hesitate and not have children yeah and eventually when they decide okay yeah we want to start trying then uh you know they're both because they're getting older the the husband he's sperm count is too low or whatever and eventually he passes away because he masturbated too much apparently <laughs> and um and so Good. she ends yeah. up alone with no kids Meanwhile, they're comparing that that couple to this other guy, Clavon or whatever his name is. I can't remember. Just this redneck, right? Hillbilly. (laughs) And he's sleeping with every woman he can find, having kids everywhere, out of wedlock. And yep. you just see that this, you know, they 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 compare the family trees where you've got, you know, two on one side and this one is like beep beep beep, beep just keeps popping up all yeah, these new trees. Like, right. I remember that. Yeah. And then eventually <laughs> the one on the left just becomes one person and that's where it ends. And this one just keeps spreading like hundreds and hundreds of children, you know. <laughs> so and, good. um yeah. And it's it's fantastic the way they, they describe it because it's a very real scenario. Oh, of course, and yeah. um, and everybody knows these sort of people who've got you know a dozen kids out of wedlock. You know, they're yeah. oh, you know, yeah. single Absolutely. mothers everywhere, single fathers everywhere, and it's just you know there's no yeah. the nuclear family is essentially disintegrating, pretty much, and yeah. um and that's kind
0: of where the yeah. the film predicts that we're going to be that it's the world's just yeah.
1: fallen into this
0: heap, and they're just only just making do somehow. There's there's yeah. a life, but they're just scraping by.
1: <laughs> that's right, and and yeah. also it's it, um the technology thing does come into it where you think that technology basically helps to advance um you know civilization and help us with our health and you know all these sort of things help us to live longer and and uh and prosper and do better um and that element is there but what they show is that the advancements in in medical science essentially end up being uh like for example this this redneck he jumps his motorcycle or something and does some stupid stunt and impales his crutch on something. Right. <laughs> and thanks to medical science and surgery, they managed to give him back his full reproductive ability as so he just carries on doing the same thing again. Yeah, and yeah. so, so there's essentially no consequence for those yeah. uh, for these stupid people, because there's always either technology or yeah. welfare or something will bail them out. Yeah. And yeah. So and so the people with the, the the right qualities to reproduce, well, they're not really being favoured. You know, they they, just, yeah. they hesitate too much. Yeah, yeah. So the careless people basically end up ruling the world. And yeah. <laughs> in great. this in this dystopian future, it's like yeah. they don't use water for anything anymore. They just use. Uh, this stuff called Brondo, which is essentially a you know Gatorade. Yeah. And uh, you water know, the they, crops they've got no anything, food. Though. There's no crops because they're using it to water, you <laughs> know, water the plants because it's what plants crave, just like that's what humans <laughs> but, but, crave. And everybody's just dumb and can't think for themselves. And you've got a couple of big corporations running everything. And yeah, yeah. And um, like they go to a Costco and it's just like this thing is like miles long, this huge warehouse. And but they go into it like the roofs caved in and. It's just it's like nothing's kept up it's just it's hilarious yeah. it's it's it's
0: uh, it's it is hilarious i think it's a genius idea and and the brainchild of a guy called mike judge who if mm. anyone might not know the name you'll know his uh his stuff he started off with beavis and butthead um uh, mm. then it was king of the hill um another great satirical comedy called office space and it's all about satire his stuff and and about yeah. stupid people being in charge and the smart people trying to rise up <laughs> so mm. he does that really well i think and um now let's talk about the president in this film played by the great <laughs> cruise um, ab- absolute star of the show here and just yeah it tell us like how how is this guy president and like what actual contribution is he making it's <laughs> hilarious yeah. he's he's
1: he's not shown to be completely stupid yeah. he's a very bombastic character and and, and one thing that annoyed me a little bit because I am a right winger. Um, he was, and Terry Crews himself, uh, they compare this character to Donald Trump, which, uh, you know, because Donald Trump being, a, he's a very bombastic character as well. He's not what you would call presidential in the traditional sense, you know, he's not polished. He's an yeah. outsider. And, and uh, you know, he was a reality TV star. And, you know, yeah. just, you know, he's yeah. got some ridiculous character traits, you know, everyone can admit. And, um, <laughs> and so they sort of compare this you know Terry Cruz's uh President Camacho uh to Donald Trump, which I don't I personally disagree with. I don't think I don't think that's there's any comparison there. But but anyway, um yeah so you've got this guy what's what's his full name? Uh Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho or something. It's a ridiculous name. <laughs> and you know he comes into yeah. the congress or whatever and you know everybody's getting rowdy so he just pulls out a machine gun and starts firing <laughs> to settle him down and yeah, it's yep. just so absurd but it is he plays yeah. the character so well oh yeah and yeah, um and eventually shows himself to be a, you know a pretty you know decent man because he sees this guy who's you know he's now the smartest man alive despite L- being the luke rossian character yeah and um and they get him to try and solve some of their problems and he doesn't solve every problem but the big one being that he goes well maybe we should uh water the crops with just water and they're like what like what's in a toilet and you know they just think it's <laughs> a ridiculous idea yeah and yeah. because it doesn't happen instantly they you know try to punish him and uh but you know mm-hmm. they get someone out there in the fields with the cameras and they see okay yep the plants are growing so yeah. Yeah. he gets pardoned but uh but yeah it's a ridiculous character but terry cruz is is yeah he's so animated he's is such a larger than life guy big muscular guy yeah you know like a like a wrestler um and he just plays it to perfection absolutely yeah
0: and and just to show how how um not far this civilization has gone um because i haven't seen the film in a while but what was the uh, what was like the number one movie in the world in that in that future? Um, oh,
1: it was called. It was just called ass. Ass. Right. It
0: was like it was like a guy's yeah. ass on the screen. Yeah. And just just sitting literally there like just an ass
1: for like hours. Then everyone <laughs> just staring at this ass. Literally nothing happens. Yeah. Um, that's it. And everybody's just so dumbed down. It's just like they yeah. can't deal with garbage anymore. There's just like mountains of garbage everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's just it's hilarious. It is. It's, um, it's really funny. Yeah.
0: Now, obviously, you know, in, in reality, I don't think we'd let the world get to that stage. But I think some of the things it touches on where it's like, if like you, like you said, he's telling them, you know, use water to water the crops, not this Gatorade stuff. But because they don't have a any context of that, it's like, we don't understand that. So that can't be true. right? Mm. It's kind of like what those characters represent. And it's like they put their faith in this president because he appears to be the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> and then when Luke Wilson's character comes along and says well actually no I'm I'm smarter even though I'm not that smart and it mm. just like upsets the Apple card a bit but I think it yeah I guess in its own way it, it sort of touches on some things about about society I guess mm. um what do you think about that yeah
1: yeah you're absolutely right so the corporations are, are a big part of this film um, the main one being Bronto. um and there's a scene where they explain how this company, because the government went bankrupt, they they basically bought out the FDA, a couple of other, you know, government bureaucracies. I can't remember exactly which ones. Um, but yeah, so basically as a result, you know, they now own the regulatory system. So they just say, oh, we'll, we'll use our product in everything. And so so there's that corporatism aspect to things. Yeah. And, you know, the consumerism, you know, it's just everybody's just consuming, consuming, consuming mindlessly. Yeah. Um, and so... I suppose, you know, we, we can ask, you know, are there any parallels to today's <laughs> society? Uh, yes and no. It's probably a bit of a stretch. But I suppose yeah. the theme being that, um, you know, this is what happens when you let corporations get too much power. Hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and also the other theme that a lot of people, I think, don't detect in this film is that too much technology and too much um, removal of risk and consequence uh, what it does to people it makes people sloth like you know there's yeah. like like i said with the this guy who has you know 100 kids and you know without any consequence yeah, yeah Um that's it. you know ultimately medical science keeps fixing him so he can keep doing his stupidity yeah. um, you know obviously how does a man pay for all these kids well <laughs> you can imagine i mean it's not touched on in the film but obviously is some you know form of welfare something's picking up the tab you know yeah it's the band-aid effect
0: it's like we'll just keep things up we won't address the actual problem yeah
1: (laughs) exactly and then so in the end you you've got this society where there's no consequences yeah and so you know it doesn't matter how much you screw up there's it's like survival of the fittest normally because there's you know if you make good decisions and you procreate you know and you, you do you know you do the right things you succeed but in this world All the traits that would favor that you would think would favor the failing of a species, these all all these things get amplified because the the consequences are removed. Yeah, Um, (laughs) yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and look, there is uh, I guess
0: there is some appeal in that about mm. you know life with no consequences. Like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that that would be okay. Like, I can just sort of do what I want and nothing bad's going to happen to me, right? So, and I guess that's why the society kind of all goes Mm. falls into this slump and they're all like. Mm. They're all, there's no one that's like appears to try to be above anyone else. They're all just like, mm. they're kind of like a hive now, aren't they? Of, mm. of people. They're just like this one consciousness that's not very bright. And <laughs>
1: well, there's not somehow, a consciousness yeah. in this film. It's just these people just walk around like zombies. I mean, it's, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but, You know, I, I think that if you go back to the original couple that they compare, they want to procreate. I mean, they are intelligent they have a good career so they can obviously support the child they can educate the child and you think this would be a, a good productive family with productive offspring right mm-hmm. um, but those people they now are, are so focused on other things like careers uh, they don't procreate so that the people with the good qualities are not procreating and the, they're just the dumb ones just breed like there's no tomorrow yeah and interesting so it? it's essentially a, a yeah. world where you know natural selection is taken out of the picture mm-hmm. you know yeah. so yeah that's like right. about and it's like well you know we i know we like to um make our lives easier and, and and take away you know risks and it's like okay well if you get injured you know we can fix that but sometimes it's like well i think humans need need some danger in their life to keep them in there in on the straight and narrow so yeah that wake up call yeah for sure that's right yeah
0: definitely so,
1: And look, we can't
0: we can't go too deep with this film because it is Mm. it's a goofy. It's a very shallow film. It's it's a. a, a Be warned! It is a ridiculous film. It is not
1: intellectual in any way, for sure. Um, It is a very silly film, but despite its silliness it has some interesting uh things to think about i think yeah for
0: sure i guess it's a bit of social commentary and a a kind of a a warped version of where humanity might be headed if we don't start thinking for ourselves and (laughs) which was all right so we've had three really uh different films there alex thanks for for picking those and and three really different conversations about the state of the world and and uh you know an alien from space and um idiots basically so we've, <laughs> we've, we've covered everything i think a bit of variety some so a little bit little bit uh, left field absolutely i think we've uh we've gone down a few rabbit holes and and had a really mm. good chat so um yeah so i like to sort of wrap up every uh, episode and just ask you know i guess um the future of movies you know uh what would you like to see get made what do they need to stop making because there's obviously a lot of changes happening in the mm. film industry at the moment um Personally, I think the Marvel bubble has well and truly popped. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. also the uh, yeah. the perspective on, you know, how work, work culture is infiltrating films and, mm. um, you know, streaming and how that's changing things. So, yeah, like what future movies for you, like what, what needs to happen or what would you like to see happen?
1: Well, for one, I'd like to see a hell of a lot less of these ridiculous superhero movies. I think, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I think everybody's got the whole superhero fatigue now. I think they... Well and truly peaked with Avengers Endgame after that, it's oh, yeah. all downhill. Yeah. Couldn't um, be topped. Those were all great characters, you know, and but uh, this is a problem when you have uh, almost a monopolizing of the industry with someone like Disney buying up every studio and everything that comes out from them is just cookie cutter crap. Um, uh, mm. I'd love to see an end to the sequels, the prequels, the remakes the live action remakes like absolutely bastardizing the, you know, the beloved original Disney cartoon films like Mm. Snow White coming up. I mean, that is just a joke and a half, Um, you know, destroying all it, basically destroying, you know, parts of the culture that people are, people love and and admire. Um, But yeah, there's no original ideas anymore. Um, You know, Even uh, like with myself, I love uh, old action movies. I love, you know, the the male archetype, you know, these hero types. Occasionally you get one gem come out like John Wick Mm -hmm. um, that is just fantastic series of movies. And Keanu Reeves is just eternally brilliant. Um, So you get get some odd gems like that, uh, but, you know, or you get a movie like uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which I quite Mm -hmm. like, um, Mm -hmm. or... um, top gun maverick you know that's very much a pro-military very patriotic sort of film unashamedly so that's very rare so it's nice to see those sort of things come out um but yeah it would be nice to see studios go back to trying some new things yeah like the matrix for example was very radical very different from it for its time yeah um but the problem is a lot of these studios just aren't willing to risk putting in the money because it's it costs a lot of money to make a film these days oh 100%. so yeah, yeah and they've got to so, yeah, so it would, television and streaming and it's not the exactly used to, it used exactly to be, yeah so yeah. so look there are still good shows good good movies coming out it's just few and far between and yeah. if, if if we didn't have to see another prequel sequel or remake yeah it's not a day too soon so 100%. so yeah so that's probably the main one for me um yeah, yeah that no, happens, I agree with knows. you.
0: This this has come up in a few chats I've had with mm. people on this show and outside of it, where like originality seems to have disappeared. And I think mm. it's not gone altogether. Just these film studios have to be willing to um, risk the you know the loss of millions or billions of dollars and go back to just creating content that's original, that's fresh, mm. but that portrays people that are human and human being yeah. flawed and having. Real genuine fears <laughs> who find themselves in these fantastical situations and figure it out, you know, and mm-hmm. not these like p- people who progressively become like these superhumans as time goes on. That's not really realistic. And we're seeing this with like the Fast and the Furious franchise, where like you know Dom Toretto is essentially the superhero now, who can mm-hmm. use a car like like it's like an extension of his body and do things that are completely <laughs> impossible and defy the laws of physics. And you look back it still and that going started, to that started, it was a street racing ten,
1: film. Yeah. Ten films it's still going and it's just like just... Two more to go already. apparently. Co- yeah. Two just, more to go stop. and then there'll be spin-offs
0: yeah. and all of this stuff but yeah, at least yeah. we need to go back to the well and, and invite some new ideas and I think we're starting to see a few of those pop up, you know and some people start to ruffle some feathers and hopefully they get their moment. So um, I'm with you mate, 100%. I agree with you. And I, no, some really good points, some really good points. I think that the significance of movies, you know, is still important. Um, and the current golden age of television uh, is sort of stealing a bit of its thunder. But, uh, you know, I guess with TVs shows, that can just keep going and going and going and, and have no real end. You know, you can't beat a movie for just this one off self-contained story that has a beginning, a middle and an end and it can still have an impact on you. And I think, you know, at least two of the films you chose do that, Idiocracy, well, it's mm. another conversation. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, the the power of film is is it's still there. So we just have to go back and give it that chance to, you know, to shine again like it did. Mm. For us growing up in the 80s and 90s, that was really the, the last golden age of, of cinema and the movies. And then DVDs came along and really this internet and streaming just kind of Changed everything, uh, for better or worse. Who knows? Like only time will tell. But all right, well, um, yeah, well, it's it's been a really great chat, Alex. Thank you for uh, sharing your take on these films. And uh no, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Give a yeah, different kind of perspective on some topics. And um, you know, for f- people who haven't seen any of these films or you saw it in a different way, you know, that's what my movie story is all about. It's uh, this person's take on these movies, and uh, to get you to maybe think of them differently um, or think about, you know, what's your story that goes with, with this movie. So, so thanks very much, Alex. And um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you, mate. Thanks for being on my
1: movie story. Always a pleasure. All right, mate. Catch you. Bye. Catch you later.